0: For as long as I can remember, since childhood even, when I've fallen in love with a book, I've wanted to sit down and talk with the author. Now, I'm doing just that. Welcome to Words with Writers. I'm your host, Ginny L. White-trip. I'm an award-winning, best-selling author, and I'm talking to authors about the writing craft, the writing life, and the books you love. Thanks for joining us. If you're listening for the first time, I'm Ginny L. Wyattrip, the host of The Words for Writers podcast. I'm a Christie Award-winning novelist. My debut novel, Words, was a double finalist for the Christie Award, the highest honor for Christian fiction, and it won the Christie for the best first novel. This year marks the 10th anniversary of Words publication. I've written six additional novels since then, including my award-winning novel, Invisible, the first book in the Mendocino Village series. I also work as a writing coach and as a developmental editor for both fiction and memoir projects. And I serve on the board for West Coast Christian Writers, a nonprofit organization that encourages and educates writers through conferences and community I am going to share with you a piece of my own writing story today. And as you listen to that, you will understand why conferences, writers' conferences, are such an important piece of my life and why I so value supporting an organization who serves writers through conferences. So how did I get to where I am as a writer? That's a question I'm often asked by coaching clients and readers alike. So I thought I'd share some of that with you today. My hope is that my own story will encourage you wherever you are on your own writing uh, journey because it's an encouraging story. (laughs) I didn't really have what it takes to become a writer. In fact, I was sorely underqualified when I first began writing. Uh, You might expect that an award winning novelist graduated with a degree in English and went on to earn an MFA in creative writing. But that is not my story, not even close. Uh, In fact, I barely graduated from high school, and I mean barely. And then, because most of my friends were going off to college and I had no sense of direction, had no idea what to do, I signed up for a full load of courses at the local junior college. One of those classes was English 1A. I loved to read, Reading had been uh, my life source throughout much of my childhood and my teenage years. And besides art, English was the only thing that sort of even interested me. But before I was accepted into English 1A, I had to take an English placement test, which I failed (laughs) miserably. Um, So I ended up in what we used to call bonehead English. And by the way, I hope they no longer call it that, because trust me, that is not helpful to students. (laughs) Anyway, uh, after the first month or two of my first semester of college, um, school, as it had always done, uh, just got too hard. And I ended up dropping all of my classes. At that point, college proved what I already knew. I wasn't smart enough for school. I didn't have the mind for it. I couldn't do it. (laughs) In fact, it proved what I'd suspected all along. There was something uh, very wrong with me. In fact, at that point, I just was wrong. I felt that I was intrinsically wrong in some way. Um, I was pretty sure of it by that point. But now, nearly 40 years later, looking back, I understand that the struggles I encountered in school can be linked to childhood trauma. There was nothing really wrong with me, but there had been something very, very wrong with the circumstances of my childhood. But here's what I did have going for me. I had God. I had a deeply personal relationship with Jesus. My challenging home life circumstances, the 12 years of abuse I had endured during my childhood, God used those circumstances to draw me into a dependent and abiding relationship with Jesus. Suffering marks many of our lives doesn't it? In fact, we're probably more aware of that more than ever this year in the midst of a global pandemic. But God doesn't leave us in our own suffering. He is with us. But sometimes we don't recognize his presence until later, even much later. As a child, I never spoke of the abuse I endured. In fact, I didn't speak much at all as a child or teenager. Talking, especially as I grew older, became just excruciating. It was so emotionally painful and somehow so terrifying that I actually spoke very little. By the time I reached my late 20s, I'd only told a handful of uh, very trusted friends the story of my childhood. But then just before I turned 30, a couple of seemingly unrelated things happened simultaneously. My second son was born 16 months after my first son had been born, and motherhood brought up all the memories of my own childhood, and with it came a almost paralyzing fear of the horrible pain someone could inflict on my children. At that point, a dear friend suggested that maybe it was time I do some counseling, Um, maybe work with a Christian counselor to heal the wounds that were obviously still impacting me. And then around that same time, my mother-in-law, just out of the blue one day, said to me, Jenny, you love to read. Maybe you should try writing. She determined that because I read so much that maybe writing would be something I would also enjoy or be good at. So she told me about a Christian Writers Conference she'd heard about at Mount Hermon, a Christian conference center nestled in the coastal range of Central California. And within a few weeks of those two events, I embarked on what would become a dozen years of intensive work with Christian counselors. And I registered for and attended my first Writers Conferences, which honestly I felt was really a crazy Move. I mean, remember the whole bonehead English thing. What was I doing at a writer's conference? But I will never forget that first conference. I wasn't confident enough to talk to anyone, which wasn't surprising. Um, I really had no idea why I was even there. But after that first day of what was a five-day conference, I knew I had somehow come home. There is more than one path to publication. Like me, you may feel underqualified to write. You may have nothing more than desire, or you may have all the qualifications, the education, the degrees, the experience, but whether you're qualified or not, what is most important is that you have faith. I believe that with all my heart. The most critical attribute you must possess as a writer is faith. Faith in the God who promises to work all things for good for those who love him and are called for his purpose. Faith in the God who transforms our suffering into something good, something unimaginable. Although I said I'd share my path to publication, to separate my faith story from my writing story is really impossible. Like many other writers who are also Christians, my writing life, my writing journey is much less about the actual writing and publication and much more about the way God has used those pursuits in my life. More than anything, God's used my journey to teach me about himself and his faithfulness. I've also learned as a writer, uh, I've learned what it means to dream with God, to wait on him, to surrender to him, and even to suffer with him. At that first writers conference, I attended, uh, after that first one, I attended conferences year after year after year. Uh, it became an annual tradition for me and something that I looked forward to all year long. At the second Writers' Conference I attended, uh, this one was held in Glorietta, New Mexico. Um, after several sleepless nights, for whatever reason, I couldn't sleep that week, I got up one night and very carefully, not to disturb my roommate, I pulled out my Bible and began reading and praying. During that night, during that time of prayer and that time with God, I sensed what I thought or, I don't know, what I felt sure of at the time was God speaking to my soul. But what he said made absolutely no sense to me. (laughs) Um, What I thought I heard Uh, was that I was supposed to introduce myself to a specific editor during the conference. And what I thought God said was, I needed to meet her because someday I would work with her. But she was a fiction editor, and I had no intention of ever writing fiction. So It really made no sense to me. But the next morning, the thought was so persistent that I was supposed to introduce myself to this editor that to ignore it felt like like it would be complete disobedience to God. So when I went to schedule an appointment with the editor, she had just one opening left, her last appointment of the conference. And when we sat down and met... I nervously explained to her that I didn't write fiction. I had no intention of ever writing fiction, but that I felt like I was supposed to get to know her. And honestly, I felt like an idiot because who does that? (laughs) And I didn't want to pull the God card and tell her that God had talked to me in the middle of the night. So I just sort of bumbled my way through Uh, the conversation. And amazingly, for whatever reason, uh, she very graciously said, sure, let's get to know each other. So over the course of the next 15 years, we developed a wonderful friendship, a friendship that had nothing to do with writing. Uh, We rarely talked about writing. Uh, We discovered we shared other things in common, and eventually I gave up trying to figure out uh, what it was I had actually heard from God that night. In fact, I wondered if I'd heard from him at all, Um, and instead I just enjoyed a friendship. Also during those years, I worked very hard to hone my writing craft, uh, solely focused on nonfiction. While I was a very poor student in a traditional school setting, I discovered I was an excellent student when left to my own devices. I read craft books voraciously, and I wrote pieces over and over and over again until I felt like I had... um, almost perfected my craft, or as much as I was able to at the time. Because of all my years of reading, I had developed sort of an intuitive sense of what was well-written and what wasn't. And so eventually, I braved submitting work for critique and then began submitting articles to magazines and developed book proposals and sample chapters to submit to agents and editors. And with those submissions came rejections, (laughs) most writers' story. Uh, I received rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. Uh, In the meantime, I continued my counseling work and began to make real changes in my life as a result of the healing God was doing Um, Finally, maybe 10 years after that first Writers' Conference, I received something other than a rejection. 10 years. Uh, I pitched an article to a magazine editor while sitting under a redwood tree on the grounds of uh, the Mount Hermon uh, Conference Center. And I ended up selling that article to Discipleship Journal Magazine, one of my favorite publications at the time. When I received that first check in the mail and held that magazine in my hands, all the work and all the rejections felt like they'd been worth it. I'd accomplished a major goal that I'd set for myself, and I was fairly certain then that the article was just the beginning of my publishing career. I felt like I was finally, it was all finally going to pay off. Soon, I was writing a quarterly column for a de- denominational magazine, and I had several devotions published in various places. But a book contract remained elusive. I continued to create proposals and write sample chapters, and I continued to submit to editors and agents, only to continue receiving rejections. Finally, after one especially crushing rejection from an editor during a conference, who said some very unkind and uncalled for things. Um, I was just done. I just could not do it anymore. I left the conference that evening after that final rejection, and I went back to my cabin, and long story short, I I gave up. I just felt done. I... I had put so much work and so much effort in so many years into honing my craft and pursuing publication that I just couldn't do it anymore. And so I told God I was done and I'm not necessarily done with writing, but done seeking publication. I I determined that I would write for God as an act of worship and nothing more. And that's what I did for quite some time, probably uh, two or three more years went by. But during that time, I also began praying about what God wanted me to write Was there a specific project he wanted me to focus on? I was no longer focused on publishing, but I still wanted to learn. I wanted to continue improving my craft, and I wanted to write something that would honor God. I felt like writing was a gift one God had given me, and I couldn't let it go, nor did I since God was asking me to let it go. But I also wasn't sure what to do with the gift at that point. So I kept praying. And then one hot summer morning, (laughs) um, I slipped out of the house while everyone was still asleep. Um, I intended to go down and water our large garden. We lived on five acres, and so it was a bit of a trek from the house to the garden. On the way from the house down to the garden area, I had the oddest sense that someone was following me. In fact, I stopped several times to turn around and look behind me. That's how strong the sensation was. But each time I turned around, I was clearly alone. For the next few days, every morning as I'd leave the house to water the garden, I'd experience that same very strong sensation. Someone was following me. Finally, one morning as I stood with the hose pointed at one of the garden boxes, a young girl, a child, sort of appeared to me. She was tiny, waif-like, thin, pale, and clearly she needed care. She didn't look like she was being taken care of. I knew she wasn't real. I knew she wasn't really there, and yet she was there. (laughs) It's still a very surreal experience that I can't honestly explain, but it felt very, very real. Anyway, that child, who, by the way, never said a word followed me around for days and days until I was sure I was losing my mind. (laughs) This felt like something very beyond uh, the imaginings of a creative mind. And then as suddenly as she appeared, the reason for her appearance became clear to me. She was a character, a fictional character. She had a story, and she wanted me to write her story. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know what her story was. I just knew she was a character, and she wanted me to write her story. But the problem was, I was a nonfiction writer. I knew nothing about writing fiction, and I didn't know what her story was until I did. It was her silence that finally gave it away, the fact that she never spoke. She was a child much like me, a child who'd suffered unthinkable abuse, a child who'd been silenced by the trauma she endured. And then, once I knew her story, I lashed out at God. I had so much anger that I didn't know what to do with it. I would sought him. I'd asked him what he wanted me to write. And this was the story he'd given me. I told him no, <laughs> no in no uncertain terms. I would not write that story. I would not write her story ever, never, ever, period, end of story literally. Only, of course, it wasn't the end of the story. That child, that apparition, that fictional child nagged and nagged at me until one day I finally begrudgingly sat down at my computer and typed the opening line of her story. That line was, I collect words. That story became my debut novel, Words. It took four years to write that child's story. And there was so much of my own emotion and experience woven into her story. It was fiction, absolutely. But without my own childhood experiences and without the intense therapy that I'd gone through, the healing God had done in my own life, it's a story I never could have written, a story I don't believe God would have written through me. When I finally had enough of the story written to believe I could pull off writing a novel, I went back to the Mount Hermon Writers Conference, one I'd been attending for 15 years by that time, and I submitted the novel proposal in sample chapters, this time to my dream agent, a woman who owned a respected literary agency. I was sure. I was sure <laughs> I was sure the, the agent would ask to meet with me. God had ordained this project. He'd made it clear that it was time to submit for publication again. And even though I'd fought him on writing this story, or maybe because it was the one project I hadn't wanted to write, I was sure this was the one that would finally reach publication. But when I received the proposal back through the conference submission system, I received yet another rejection. <laughs> While the agent affirmed the story and my writing, she didn't think it would sell in the Christian marketplace. I was defeated, totally. <laughs> I returned home and did nothing with that manuscript for a full year. In fact, I didn't write at all that year. I thought I'd followed God obediently, at least eventually, and I was just at a loss. I didn't know what else to do. Then, just before the Mount Hermon conference came around again, I decided I'd submit the proposal one more time. I figured at that point I had nothing to lose, and I had nothing else to submit. I hadn't written anything else that year. I was attending the conference anyway. It had become an annual annual tradition, so why not just toss it out there again? This time, I sent it off before the conference and submitted it to Steve Lobby. Steve was a former acquisitions editor for Bethany House, who had rejected one of my nonfiction proposals many years before. But now, years later, he was a respected literary agent. The night before the conference officially began, uh, I received an email from Steve asking me to find him the moment I stepped foot on the Mount Herm- Herman grounds. He wanted to talk to me about my manuscript. And I thought that had to be good news. The next day uh, when I found him, he enthusiastically told me he wanted to represent the manuscript. He had no doubt that he could sell it, and he wanted to know how long it would take me to complete it. So I very naively (laughs) told him I'd have the manuscript completed and sent to him in six weeks' time. I, by that time, after so many years writing and having already worked through at least half of this manuscript, I knew about how long it would take me to write the remaining words to complete that manuscript, and six weeks seemed completely reasonable. But when I returned home, determined to finish writing this story, um, life intervened. Uh, Life intervened in big and disastrous ways, including uh, multiple major surgeries and the unraveling of my 27-year marriage. It was one of the most challenging seasons of my life. Six weeks turned into almost two years before Steve Lobby received the final final manuscript for words. And by that time, I no longer cared. I didn't care if I ever wrote another word or if I was ever published. I felt broken beyond repair Um, both physically and emotionally. I was at the end of myself (laughs) completely. Uh, I sent the manuscript off, then I went through a, a brief round of edits that Steve suggested, and then I didn't give it another thought. I was slogging my way through the mud of a very painful and difficult divorce, and all that meant for our family, and writing writing was a distant memory. It was something I did for many, many years, and that was about all it was at that point. Um, then one morning, in the midst of all that devastation, uh, I received an email from Steve Lobby asking me to call him. And there was an urgency to his email. He had been trying to reach me, had left messages at my home, a a home I had moved out of, and uh, so I hadn't received the messages. So I dutifully picked up the phone and called Steve. Um, And as I listened, he conveyed that he had an offer from a large publishing company for my novel a contract offer for actually three books, three novels. They wanted to purchase words and have me write two additional novels. The acquisitions editor for the publisher who was making the offer, (laughs) she was the fiction editor. God had told me to introduce myself to 15 years before. The editor I'd work with someday, God had said, or I thought he'd said. Uh, That editor was my friend, Karen Ball. My book, Words, was published 17 years after my attendance at that first Writers' Conference. It took 17 years to reach the publication of my first book. One year later, Words won the Christie Award for Best First Novel. As I stood on the stage that night and accepted that award, it was handed to me by one of my favorite people, one of my favorite writers, Liz Curtis Higgs. I realized that in only a way God could do, He had taken my greatest pain, those years of childhood abuse and paired it with one of my greatest joys, writing and the publication of a book I never imagined I would write. It's a moment that still stands as a marker on my spiritual journey, a marker of the power of God to redeem our pain. In our suffering, the power of God to work all things for good in a way that we can never imagine happening. My agent, Steve Lobby, joked that night about my overnight success, <laughs> success that was 17 years in the making. But that came in God's perfect timing Publication, while important, was no longer the pinnacle of success for me. Awards and accolades, while affirming, no longer held any power to define me. By the time the Christie Award came around, I'd spent almost a year responding to emails from readers who'd found their own healing through the pages of words, through the God who gave me that story, through the God who wrote that story through me. It was those emails and the lives of those readers, their stories that came to matter most. It was no longer about me and what I achieved and whether or not I felt affirmed through those who would offer me a book contract. Instead, it was about a greater story, something God was doing Um, in and around me in the lives of others, something that he graciously allowed me to participate in. Your path to publication will look nothing like mine. My path to publication looks nothing like yours. If you're looking toward publishing, you won't likely have to wait 17 years. There are so many options available to you now. But what I hope, what I pray will look similar is the way the pursuit leads you to Jesus. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. As you write words for others, steep yourself in God's word, allowing it to slay you, to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, to reveal the attitudes of your heart. Let it transform you. Let God transform you. Let him heal your wounds and redeem your past so that when your words reach others you're ready because you've allowed God to grow you and change you and prepare you. That's the path to follow listening to Words with Writers. For show notes, links, and resources for writers, go to wordsforwriters.net.